Hey everyone, Preston Keller here. Welcome to the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. We're so excited that you've tuned in and we want to say thank you to everyone who has left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts for the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. That helps us so much get the word out and our resources out to as many youth pastors as possible. So every time you leave a rating and a review or you share on social media, on your Instagram stories about an episode, that helps us so much. So thank thank you guys for, for doing that and texting episodes out to your youth teams and your youth pastor friends. It means the world. Thank you for joining the Rush team. We've got another great episode lined up for you. I had a conversation with Pastor Raymond Woodward, and he is an amazing communicator of the gospel. He is uh, from New Brunswick, Canada, where he serves as lead pastor of Capital Community Church, and he is one of my favorite preachers. He's, He's such a gifted communicator, and the way he can craft a sermon and thought is just incredible. And this episode, this conversation, is actually based off of a sermon that he preaches It's the title of our episode here and the title of his sermon called Who's at Your Table? It's all about uh, mentors in your life, but it's also about who you are mentoring. It's all about having the right people, the right voices of influence in your life. It's all about the right inner circle for you. So it's so important for you and I, this sermon that he preached uh, just impacted my life so much. I asked him if we could talk about it on this episode. And without further ado, let's dive into this very important topic for you and I as youth leaders. Let's talk who's at your table with Pastor Raymond Woodward. We are so excited today to have Pastor Raymond Woodward on the podcast with us, and he is from Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, where he serves as lead pastor of Capital Community Church, and uh, just personally, he's one of my favorite communicators of the gospel, and just a side note, the Kellers love the Woodward so, so much. Pastor Woodward, welcome to the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, Preston. Thank you. Um the Kellers may love the Woodwards, but the Woodwards love the Kellers. Your dad was doing youth events here when I was a lot younger than you are. So that's been a little while ago. And uh, so we've had a long, long friendship with your mom and dad and watching you and your sister come up and get so involved in leadership in youth ministry and hyphen and everything else. It's just been amazing. I'm so thankful. Oh, man. Thank you. Yeah, we, we love you guys so much. As we dive into this uh, topic that we're going to talk about, I'm really excited uh, for our audience to um, to get to spend some time with you here today. And there's a statement that us youth pastors drop on our students often. And today we're going to attempt to turn that statement back on all of our listeners, our youth pastors, and me included. And that statement is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Uh, you preached a message at Because of the Times a few years ago, and uh, it honestly changed my life. I still think about it today, and, and that's why we're doing this today. It's, it's going to be the framework for our conversation, and you entitled it, Who's at Your Table? Can you talk us through that message that you preached a little bit? Absolutely. Um, the, the message came about, I was actually doing a, a series here at the church called Kings and Kingdoms, which was a walkthrough uh, the book of First Samuel. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking, I, I don't know why I did this, but I was thinking I was going to study the life of David. 
But really, David, you know, you're studying his younger life. By the end of that series, I was so ready to kill Saul that I, I just I, I just wanted to be rid of him. And I haven't even got back to the series on 2 Samuel. There will be a Kings and Kingdoms too someday. But in the process, I came across what I often refer to as kind of a throwaway verse. And what I mean by that is it's not a doctrinal verse. It's not one of the verses that we quote for inspiration. It's just like almost like a filler verse. And the verse is 1 Samuel 20 and 25. And it says this, it's talking about uh, King Saul. It says, the king sat upon his seat as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose. Literally, that means Jonathan sat opposite of him. If you check that, that phrase out in the Hebrew, Jonathan arose, he's opposite of Saul and Abner sat by Saul's side. And then it says the punchline and David's place was empty. So this is the table where um, Saul, you know, has fellowship. This is the table where Saul has more intimate conversations. He's king over all of Israel, but these are his friends. These are the people that are closest to him. And it just hit me. First of all, Saul's sitting uh, in a seat by the wall. He's, he's against the wall. His back's to the wall. He's sitting in a defensive posture. Uh, secondly, his son, Jonathan, there's a dynamic in his family that's really weird because Don Jonathan is opposite of him. The, the crown prince of Israel should be sitting beside his father, the king. He's not. And that place is occupied. The place nearest to Saul is occupied by Abner, who I would best describe as kind of a, almost a politician. Abner's in it for Abner. Abner will say what he needs to say to get favor with whoever he thinks is in power or whoever can advance him. And uh, you, you remember the quote from the Bible, you know, Abner dies as a fool dies. Ab Abner's not a good influence, but that's who's closest to Saul. So he's got dysfunction with his son, Jonathan. He, he's got uh, Abner, a, a literally a kind of a politician next to him, influencing him closest. And then it says David's place was empty. So David, who's going to be the next king of Israel, David, who is a passionate worshiper, David, who is filled with faith, David, who has actually done so much for Saul's kingdom. He's fought battles. He's killed giants. He's done all of this. David's place is empty because Saul has jealousy toward David. And then there's one character here that he doesn't even get mentioned in 1 Samuel 20, 25, but it's the prophet Samuel. It's the elder who anointed Saul, who set him up to be king in front of all of Israel. And Saul and Samuel's relationship has been so fractured because Saul has not paid attention to Samuel for years. He doesn't listen to his counsel. He doesn't seek his words or his advice. And so Samuel's place isn't empty. There is no place here for Samuel, and there should be. He was the prophet that set Saul up. So that kind of gave uh, rise to, to that particular message. It was part of a series. And then, as you mentioned, it got preached at a minister's conference. And, uh, and, it's, and I had the chance to share it with some staff, uh, like some teams, church teams since then. But to me, it's a very important question. Uh, who's at your table? And, and you said the, the, the quote that just rings so loud, you know, you show me your friends and I will show you your future because your friends have great influence. So that's kind of the context for the message, who's at your table. If you put the wrong people at your table, everything starts to slide. But if you have the right people at your table, it, it pulls you up. It 
it encourages you. And our friends' voices, whoever we allow in that table, in that inner circle, they not only direct us, but they can correct us. They can encourage us when we're down. But I think more than all of that, they just have this formative influence. You and I don't sit around with our friends and say, okay, now give me some great advice or, or, or direct me in this. But just their words and their personality and their love for God or their coldness towards spiritual things. My goodness, that's a huge influence. So the, that's kind of the context for our conversation today. Awesome. Yeah. So powerful. So good. Um, so let's, let's talk to uh, the youth pastor. Uh, most of our, our youth pastors would probably be in their twenties or, or yep. early thirties um, in that stage of life as a young leader who should be at my table. Well, looking, looking at this parallel and that was what, what just really arrested me, Preston was, you know, first of all, I think the big picture here, uh, you've got to have elders at your table. I love my peers. Um, and you guys do better with peers than I ever did in my generation. You know, I, I'm like before social media, I'm before Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and everything else. But I'm also, this is amazing to me. I feel like a dinosaur. But, you know, I had the first laptop. Uh, at Bible school, when I went there, I had this little Radio Shack Tandy laptop that probably took an hour and a half to turn on and could probably type like four keys before the battery ran down. It was just awful. But like early on, um, I, I was trying to um, study. I was trying to, you know, get a handle on what I felt God wanted me to do and whatever. So I love my peers and you guys do better at connecting with peers than I ever did. But, but I love my peers, but my peers can't guide me like an elder can guide me. Mm -hmm. My peers are going to know more about technology. They're going to know more about culture. They're going to know more about, you know, current ministry ideas, things that are in vogue, things that are effective in this generation. That's extremely valuable. But to me, what's more valuable than that, and you have this in your family, I have this in my family, is this some, some kind of nebulous, you can't quite put your finger on it, but it's a spiritual heritage that is passed down from generation to generation. There's anointing there. There's direction there. There's solidity there. So I would say the first person you need around your table is an elder. Now, if you've got apostolic parents like you and I do, obviously they're around your table. But it goes further than that because as you launch into ministry, my parents, uh, unlike your, your uh, mom and dad, my parents are not preachers. They're not pastors. They're just good, solid saints. So there are areas where I am engaged in things and I know about things that my parents really, that's not been their world. Their world is Go to church, love your pastor, love your church, support the kingdom of God, pray for missionary. That's their world. And it's a wonderful world. Yeah. My world is trying to lead all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so is a youth pastor trying to lead a, a younger generation into a great relationship with God, support the church, get involved in the kingdom. So I need a pastoral voice, not just some people that are older than me. I need a pastoral voice. And for me, my dad is not my pastor. He's never been a pastor. Mm. The pastoral voice to me is, is one of the most key components of anybody involved in ministry because 
So many people have no veto in their life. Uh, so many people, um, when, it, when it comes down to it, nobody can say to them, that's a bad idea, wait on that, or don't do that, or turn away from that. And if anybody ever does, and this is, a, this is a trend I see, Preston, that if anybody ever does challenge them or say, that's not a good idea, they just go get them a new pastor. They just go get them a new elder or whatever. And that's why peers and what we've uh, called mentors in this day and age, that's why those are such comfortable voices because our peers, we're on the same level as them. So my peers, they can kind of sharpen me a little bit, iron sharpens iron, and I get all of that. But they can't do for me what an elder's voice can do for me. Mm. Um, You know, I I think I said in that message that because of the times, um, my pastor's voice, it's like the police show up. I see them coming the other direction. I want to check and make sure my seatbelt's on and I'm not driving too fast and whatever. I... You know, I'm 58, Preston. I'm getting up there. I want more of those voices in my life every year, not less. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking, oh, I'm old now. I'm mature now. I've achieved now. I'm thinking every year that I live, I want more of those kind of voices because Mm -hmm. the, the greatest challenge in ministry personally is that your ego and your secret life can run away with you either way. And they both blow up ministries every week of the year. And I don't want that to happen to me. So I need those voices. So um, uh, to me, the elder's voice, the pastoral voice, especially the voice that can say no. And you say, yes, sir. That's right. I won't. That voice is critical. That voice is also the most counterintuitive anti-cultural thing that you could ever have in your life. And that's why it's such a blessing. It flies in the face of the culture saying, you're your own man. You do what you want. Who do they think they are? They're out of touch. They're not connected to this generation. It is the voice that flies in the face of that. And and in ministry, you got to have some counter-cultural, almost even anti-cultural voices, or you get swept up in in all of this junk. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. It's uh, so you want your table to be kind of diversified. Absolutely. Um, Let me say one more thing about that elder's voice. Um, There is, and I've said this so often, um, there is an an absolute spiritual power and dynamic in submission. Mm. And, And submission is not typically something that you think of when you think of your peers or, or mentors that are your age that you admire, that you're following something they're doing because it's very effective. That's all well and good. But submission typically applies to somebody that is over you. Typically it does. So submission is uh, putting your mission under, submission under somebody else's mission. Mm. Um, if everything is about me in my ministry and everything's about my ideas and I'm doing this and whatever, that's a danger signal. So submission is where, uh, I put my wants, desires, plans, dreams, everything. I'm locked into something bigger than myself. But the other part of submission that everybody loves to hate is you can't submit when you agree with somebody. If you and I say, you know, let's go to Walmart. Well, we agreed. So it's no it's no problem for you to go to Walmart. You wanted to anyway. But if I say, let's go to Walmart and you didn't want to leave the house today, 
and you go along, you've now submitted. You didn't want to, but you said, okay. Mm. Submission is, agreement is powerful. Where two or three agree, agreement is powerful. Yeah. But agreement is not as powerful as submission. And, and so uh, submission is such an important dynamic. And because of the esteem with which we hold elders, submission is more likely to happen there. And I think that's an overlooked dynamic in ministry. But you said a diversified table, and that's exactly right. Because in addition to a Samuel, you want a young David hmm. at your table. You want somebody that, you know, David pushed the envelope in every way. Um, thankfully, he wasn't like Saul. Saul pushed the envelope too. He went for years without the Ark of the Covenant and didn't even think twice about it. Uh, you know, the Ark of the Covenant's in enemy hands or outside of Jerusalem for almost all of his 40 years of reign. Doesn't even bother him. Like, what in the world is that? And then uh, Saul went for years without even building an altar. Um, so there's so many things about him. He pushed the envelope in a wrong way. Mm. David pushed the envelope in a great way. Saul's king for 40 years, doesn't even care where the ark is. David is king for five, minute, five minutes, and it's like, let's go get the ark. Where's the ark? You know? And so he messes up the process a little bit, uh, trying to get it back to Jerusalem in a rush, and Uzzah touches it, and you know, Uzzah's stricken dead, and then there's a delay. But his heart's in the right place, Preston. Mm. He wants uh, to push the envelope for God. David is this exuberant worshiper that Michael, Saul's daughter, criticizes. David is the one that, you know, they wouldn't have a Jerusalem if it wasn't for David. David's the one that took Jerusalem and set it up as the capital of Israel. David is the one that wanted to build a temple so badly, and God said, you can't. You're a man of blood. You're a man of war. Your son can't. And so David spends the majority of his reign preparing the supplies, the building materials for a temple that he won't even get to see. Solomon's going to build the temple. But David always pushed the envelope in the right direction. Hmm. I need a David at my table. I need somebody that, that you know, they do have the, the whole business about submitting to elders and the whole business about having an apostolic connection to elders is not about you know putting us in a time warp and saying, well, now we're going to act like we did in the 60s. The best elders among us, they want you and I to go and reach our respective generations. And they want us to do new things that are effective. Where they hitch up on us is when they see a trend that is anti-apostolic. It's uh, pulling away from scripture. That's the voice of the elders. But I need around me, and, and even you at your age, you need around you some people that they're just kind of a little radical. It's like, let's try that. It's like, that won't work. I, I say that all the time. That's not going to work. Sometimes it does work. I just need a David to, to, to go, you know, let's go fight the battle. You know, we've got two water pistols and, and one shovel. Let's go fight that army. I need that. The other thing about David is his passion. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I really admire about this generation that is currently living for God and doing so many great things is their passion. They're passionate worshipers. Uh, many of them, I would say the majority of them, maybe not the vast majority, but certainly some, some good statistics here. They're not only passionate worshipers, they are passionate witnesses. Uh, we've got P7 clubs. We've got all kinds of stuff happening with our young people. 
Um, that's more passionate than my generation was at that age. So there's much to admire there and much to emulate there. And we need some of those passionate people. But we don't only need passion at our events. We don't only need passion in our church services, our youth services. Uh, we need passion one-on-one -on -one when we're dealing with people that, uh, you know, when your youth group's not around, when your team members aren't around, when we don't have like, you know, a keyboard playing in the background and, 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 and we're not at church, we need passion to uh, be a worshiper and a witness and a prayer warrior outside of our normal comfort zone. Mm. I really feel like part of, you know, we're recording this during COVID-19, all the restrictions. I really feel like part of COVID-19, you know, we all believe that what the enemy means for evil, God can use for good. Well, I really believe that part of this right now is um, God pushing us out of regular comfort zones. Mm. And I said to a church, actually in a, a, a video recording, uh, for their Bible study, I said to a church last night, you know, it's time to check your home version of apostolic Christianity. Because if your apostolic genes only kick in when you get inside the four walls of the church and you got your youth group and you got your, your tech and you've got, you know, everything's pre-planned and pre-packaged and pre-programmed, you need to check your apostolic version of Christianity. Because if you've traded in Bible study and prayer uh, for Netflix and Facebook during this time, mm. you got a spiritual problem. And so that passion, I need a David that just, uh, he pushes me not only in battle, not only in let's go take this mountain, let's go take this kingdom. He pushes me in passionate worship for God. He's not ashamed of it. He's not embarrassed. There's always that one person in a youth group. There's always that one person in a church that their worship is just, off. It's just like five degrees off, 10 degrees off. And we all know them and we all love them. <laughs> the, the older I get, Preston, the more I think I need them to knock the stinking pride out mm -hmm. of me. Uh, no, I, I, I don't want some big spectacle that scares visitors away. None of us want that. But boy, I still want apostolic. And I don't just want all of our worship to be this clone of we all jump at the same time and we all lift our hands the same way and we all can clap on the right beat and we all can sway the same. I want every once in a while, Holy Ghost pandemonium mm. to break out in our church, in our youth group, in our services, in our prayer meetings, because that's real stuff. And I need people around me that are passionate like that. I may not be on the same emotional wavelength as them, but mm. I need them to challenge me. So that's the, that's the young David. He's the counterpart to that elder's voice. I think that's really important. Mm, that's so good. So powerful. And uh, yeah, you talk about the apostolic home, especially in this season, uh, replacing prayer, Bible study with Netflix and Facebook. That's, that's so true. Um, not a lot of times we like to uh, point, uh, statements or thoughts like that oh, our students are going through that they're dealing with that for sure well in this our adults are going through that our youth Absolutely. teams are going through that um i i want to give everyone uh just a, a little resource here an app that um a few of my friends and i discovered just probably a month or so ago it's called habitat 
and free version you can set up um five up to five categories where all of you can see if you've completed that task or not so we have one set up for daily prayer uh daily bible reading we've got one set up once a week fasting um exercise five times a week that you can uh and then and then learn something daily listen to a podcast read a chapter of a book whatever and to that point of being, you know, apostolic, not just in the four walls, it's helped us so yes. much. You know, these are guys at my table right. and we've helped, uh, it's, it's helped us stay accountable in this crazy year we find ourselves in, you know? Yes. Um, so check out Habitat. That might, that might help. Um, could you, uh, Give us some practical tips on maybe finding or creating meaningful friendships. Maybe a youth pastor, uh, maybe they're a young couple trying to wrap up college, starting a career. A lot of our youth pastors are bivocational. They might have their first kid. You know, they're in that busy stage of life. Um, How do I prioritize relationships? Maybe I don't have those friends to be on that app yet. Um, are there some tips on finding or, or creating friendships that are meaningful? That's a real challenge in, in an extremely busy world. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think way back, you know, I'm talking a few decades ago, which unfortunately I can look back a few decades ago. Um, I think a few decades ago, we all thought this technology is going to be such a time saver, such a life saver. It's going to give us so much free time to, you know, just relax and chill and be with friends because we're going to get so much more done. And the reality is that technology, uh, the pace at which we can communicate now, email, texting, everything, the pace at which we can communicate now has actually increased stress and increased commitments and increased the amount of time that we're expected to almost be working And so that's a challenge. There is only one way uh, to compensate for that. And that is uh, you have to pick times when you just turn it off or ignore it. Um, You know, you mentioned fasting. Uh, Obviously, the primary meaning uh, for the Jews and for the early church, when they talk about fasting, they're talking about fasting food. And it still is the primary means of denying the flesh. But I've often said in our church that if we do a fast, I would almost rather have, I mean, our young people, they've got these like uber high metabolisms. I don't care if they fast. I would prefer most of the time that they fast some kind of media because that's what sucks up their time. Well, that carries over. Uh, just because you get married or have your first child or you're now, you know, trying to lead or whatever, those, those kind of uh, cultural habits, I'll call them. So I'm not picking on any one person that, you know, oh, you've got a Facebook addiction or you've got whatever. It's just a cultural habit that we're online 24 seven, it seems. Hmm. You have to pick the times and whether that's a young husband and wife carving out time for themselves, you have to pick times when you're not fully accessible we all want to be accessible for emergencies. If there's a young person in a youth group that was just involved in a horrible car wreck, you know, God forbid, but we want to be there. So I'm not an advocate for just like being a hermit and shutting down and being off the grid. 
I'm, I'm not really an advocate for that because there are too many important things and important people that we're ministering to. But I am an advocate for you don't have to answer every email. You don't have to answer every text. You don't have to check your social media every day. And, and I think some of those habits actually carve out the time that we can then invest in forming relationships because relationships really, as, as it's an old cliche, but relationships are spelled T I M E. It takes time. You, you can't just, you know, hey, Preston, I'm coming over to your house this afternoon. We're going to go for coffee and we're going to build a relationship. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know, we have 45 minutes, 44 if the traffic's heavy. We, we like we, we you can't build relationships like that. You have to build relationships with time. So so carving out some of that stuff. So, you know, being intentional when you're at whether it's district things at another church, at a general meeting, like a, a general conference or an NAYC, being intentional to, to connect with people. It is the nature of relationships now that many of them are long distance. You know, they, they are over social media, a great part. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, to be able to connect like this and talk and see each other, have a conversation that builds relationship. Mm. Um, so, so, that's the nature of it. But again, you can't even do this without setting aside time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, an occasional text once a week just to say, hey, that's wonderful, but that's not a relationship. You've got to carve out a little bit of time. Um, in that busy season of life, I think it's most important that you, you concentrate on your, your family, your marriage, um, and, and do ministry uh, together and do ministry as a unit, not, you know, I'm going off to work now and I'm going to leave you at home or I'm going to leave you at your other job. Do, do as many things together as you can. Um, you've got to find like-minded people though, Preston, because uh, there's lots of people that I love, but they drive me crazy. The, their life, you know, I'm kind of an organized plotter kind of person and I've got friends and I love them, but they are like all over the map every day. Every day is a new adventure. They drive me crazy. They're exhausting to me. I love them. They're exhausting. So the, the relationships that I enjoy all my relationships, uh, but the relationships that really feed into me and help me are where we have a common interest or a common uh, mutual characteristic, like, you know, we're, we're both, uh, we're both readers or we both like to kayak or whatever. And we can talk about something that is, you know, as counterintuitive as this is, don't talk about ministry all the time. Mm -hmm. um, that's the big thing. Like a, a friend of mine that is going to, you know, bring something to my life. I don't want to talk to them about, you know, hey, did you try this new? Like, I, I just want to talk to them about life because mm. that's, I'm already doing ministry. I like sharing ideas. We've got places and forums. You just shared a great idea just now. There's all kinds of great ideas lying around, but that's not building a relationship between you and the person you share an app or a book or whatever, but the discussion around it and the getting together around mm. it, if you can. And and just even taking time to carve out. Um, I, I think you've got to be intentional about the time 
or the rest never happens. So that's the biggest one to me. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Um, what if uh, this might get into a little bit of maybe a, a, a marriage uh, conversation, but I, I do want to ask this because I've seen multiple people um, kind of go through this. What if um, I've done a pretty good job or the wife has done a good job, the husband's done a good job of surrounding themselves with really good friends, but their spouse or significant other maybe doesn't have friends around him or her? Um, is there anything that one, the youth pastor could help the youth pastor's wife, um, uh, under this topic, like with this topic of having meaningful friendships or, or any thoughts on that? Marriage is a give and take. Uh, you know, the, the old saying for marriage is opposites attract. We use that all the time. What we forget to say is that two weeks after the honeymoon opposites attack, uh, because if you've got somebody that's opposite of you in a relationship, you're, there's always going to be some of this. So you've almost always got, that's, it's the nature of marriage. You've almost always got the organized person, the cluttered person. You've almost always got the social butterfly and the semi hermit. You know, you've always got those dynamics. You, you, you even got crazy things like, you know, you've always got the early morning, you know, up, singing a song at 6 a.m. and you get the other person that, you know, they're still dragging around at nine o'clock because they stayed up till two. You know, there's all these tensions. Marriage is, we talked about submission a moment ago. Marriage is a mutual submission. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about submission, but what we miss is submission is not this top down thing, you know, where the husband and then the wife and then the kids, because if you look at it, the same version of the same uh, passage that tells um, wives to submit to their husbands tells husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. The same passage that says children obey your parents says fathers don't provoke your children to wrath. So any relationship like marriage is a marriage of mutual give and take. And I don't think there's any place more important than in something like what you just referenced where, you know, one person is doing quite well. They've got friends, they have conversations, they maybe have activities that they do. And the other person is kind of more staying at home. And, and it's not always this way, but a lot of times I see that's the wife because typically she's bearing the load of, of childcare um, more so. And, uh, and you guys, by the way, in your generation, uh, you do better with sharing those responsibilities than any previous generation. But mm -hmm. still a lot of that falls on that sweet little wife. And a lot of times she's the one that feels left out. Her husband's on a committee, her husband's speaking somewhere. It's just the nature of, of how it happens in the apostolic movement. So I would say it has to be mutual that the person who's kind of more, you know, I'm content to stay at home. They have to push themselves out of their uh, comfort zone a little bit to, to actually go and do things. But the other person needs to be careful you know, that you don't uh, fly so high or so far or so fast that you leave your spouse behind in the dust. You've got to intentionally turn around sometimes and say, come with me. And I don't even mean necessarily going somewhere, but come with me in this activity, come with me in, in this ministry thing. Mm. Um, I, I've taught on marriage off and on through the years. And, and one of the statements that I love that I came across years ago, um, it was, I think if I remember right, it was Willard Harley, the, the famed marriage counselor that did a survey and then did a book. 
uh, five needs of men, five needs of women. And, and one of the, the, the needs of men in a marriage was what he called recreational companionship. Recreational companionship. So what he meant was that a husband takes great delight and pride and gets a lot of fulfillment from his wife uh, just being involved in what he's doing. Um, you know, he may be a hunter. She's not a hunter. She would, she, you know, she sees Bambi when she goes out into a wood somewhere, but she goes with him. And, and I know several pastors wives that do that. They'll go to the hunting camp or whatever. And they're there. They're not maybe pulling the trigger. Some of them do, but, but, but maybe not, but they're together. And I think that actually works both ways that, that you, you turn around in your busyness and in your activity, and especially in ministry activity, and you make sure that that spouse of yours, you're pulling them with you. And if they're reluctant, you're having those conversations to say, this is important to me, but I think it's also important to you. And you have those conversations with love and care and submission. But I I think, again, uh, uh, not to harp on it, but I think you have to stop up, slow down, take the time to actually have those conversations. A lot of couples share the same address. They don't always share the same life. And that's really important in ministry, especially. Yeah. Wow, that's so good. And I know, as we know, a lot of our youth pastors are in their beginning years of marriage and they're on that journey. So I know that's going to help so much. And uh, before we wrap up, you know, talking about the youth pastor's wife, um, that that just sparked this. What about uh, what about her table? Um, you know, uh, having the the youth pastor, the guy might have a easier time having a relationship with with the pastor. Um, what what does a female leader? Uh, what does that look like for her? Um, would that be the pastor's wife? Or you still look for an elder? You still look for uh, a David character for the table? Well, the pastor's wife typically would be an elder voice in, in your life. And I think that's good. Mm-hmm. The reality is there are a whole lot of dynamics when you get working with people, people, uh, and I hate these words, but people above you, people below you, people on your uh, level of leadership. And I, I don't like those words, but you understand what I mean when I use them. So, you know, not every pastor is open to being a a mentor or a, you know, that kind of voice in somebody's life. Not every pastor's wife is. So it's a unique thing. Um, You know, I had a unique situation in my life, Preston, uh, several years ago. I've had um, uh, basically uh, four or five pastors in in my life. so the the one when I was a child, the one when I was a teenager, the one where, where I first started working in ministry after Bible school, then another man, a good godly man that I assisted, and now my 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 pastor. And and so I, I would say it this way, a couple of those men, they departed from apostolic beliefs. So that pulls them out of that role. Uh the the you know, and then one of them's gone, uh, you know, he, he passed away. And, and then another man, a uh, good godly man, but by the time I assisted him, if I could say it this way, it was more of a working relationship mm-hmm. than a pastoral relationship. And so it didn't feel, he's a 
wonderful, great godly man, but it didn't feel right to ask him to be my pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, my pastor doesn't live in my nation. He doesn't live anywhere close to me. But, uh, you know, we text every week. We talk uh, regularly. Um, and he literally does have uh, veto power, not only in, in my life, but in my ministry. If he said, and I have called him to ask sometimes. You know, the reality is, Preston, I, I uh, carry... Um, a couple of positions in our particular fellowship and, and I'm 58 and I pastored a church here for uh, almost 20 years. And I was an assistant pastor for 20 years before that. The reality is at this point in life, I can say, you know, I'm good. I, I can do this. And nobody would give me grief over that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's getting embarrassing now. People call me elder and all kinds of things like, no, no, stay away. Um, <laughs> But, but that's the reality. But I realize how much I need those voices. So, you know, for those ladies and for those young men, you've got to seek and make it intentional until you find that voice. You will know when it clicks. Um, it may not be, um, you know, especially if you've come from somewhere else and you've been hired by a church, that pastor might not be your pastor pastor. Yes, you submit to him because you're working with him. Yes, you submit to him because it's a a biblical principle. But it might not be the voice that stays with you for a lifetime. Hmm. And and you may already have that voice. That voice may be a pastor that um, in some ways you've outgrown him. People would look at you and say, oh, you pastor a bigger church. Your youth group is bigger than the church you came from. But if that old pastor is a faithful man of God and he's fed into you all of your life, um, I wouldn't be anxiously looking for a, a new voice. That's part of the problem in this in this generation. But mm. you know, for those ladies, um, I, I would say something that that might be even perceived as controversial or chauvinistic or whatever, uh, and it's not. It's just an observation that our, our beautiful ladies, uh, they, they have this incredible emotional sense given by God. They're the first to be compassionate. They're, they're the first to, you know, feed into that upcoming generation. You know, the old saying is still true. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. They impact that next generation, our moms and our grandmothers and, and even the ladies in the church that are spiritual mothers in Israel. So, so that's a wonderful benefit, but it also can be a negative. And I would say to our wonderful ladies that are, that would be listening to this, um, be careful that you're not just forming an emotional connection with somebody because that fades really fast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Beverly, my wife, uh, she's not a real fan of what I would uh, affectionately call the crank and cry ladies meetings, you know, where they all get together and they have some speaker and they all talk about how, how awful life is. And then they all cry and they all go home and they feel better. Now, I didn't say that. She said that. She said, I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, be careful, uh, ladies that are listening, that when you make a connection, it's a spiritual connection not just an emotional connection because emotional connections can become quite manipulative over time. There are people that want to set themselves up as an elder in your life. There are people that want to set themselves up as some voice that, 
almost becomes controlling after a while. Mm. And you need to run from those people. That is not what I am talking about when I'm talking about an elder. An elder is somebody that's in that relationship for your good, not for their ego. Mm. And so uh, that, that, I don't know if that can even be well received because it's a man saying it about ladies. But as a pastor, I've observed that where two ladies will make an emotional connection and then one gets really weird and, and, and it's almost like controlling and you didn't run that decision by me and you didn't do this and you went here without talking to me and it just gets weird. And it can do that for guys too, but it's not typically so bad. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that's super helpful for sure. Well, we want to um, say thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast here. Any, any, as we wrap up, any closing thoughts for our youth pastors, our young leaders, and uh, would you mind closing us out in prayer? I'd love to, Preston. And first of all, thank you for the opportunity of doing this. I've enjoyed it so much, and, and it's great to connect with you. Um, speaking of long-distance friendships and relationships, it's great to connect with you today. Um, the, I, I would say just one final thing. You know, in, in kind of setting up our conversation today, you know, the, 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 I think we've hit everything but one. Um, Samuel around Saul's table, he wasn't there. There's not even a place for him. He was the elder that Saul was missing. David, we talked about that, a, a passionate, challenging voice that's probably from your generation that, that feeds into you. Uh, we, we skirted around this, but Jonathan was Saul's family. Mm. Watch your family in ministry. Don't let your family fall uh, as a casualty to your time commitments, to your focus, uh, to your passion. It's wrong to give your passion to your ministry and not give that same passion and love to your family. So that's Jonathan. The one we didn't touch so much, uh, and we probably talked around this, but, you know, Abner was that political, cynical, selfish, what's in it for me voice. Mm. And I, you know, if we're talking about who you're going to put at your table, the one person you do not want at your table is the person Saul had closest to him. The one person you don't want at your table as a young leader is another peer, another young leader, a friend. And you can sense this. And if you're honest with yourself, you can sense this. They're always poking holes in something, always criticizing a lifestyle conviction, a doctrine that the elders taught. Mm. Uh, They're always criticizing the way the elders did it or they're criticizing our leadership in our fellowship. Does our leadership make mistakes? My goodness, yes, they're human. Did our elders make mistakes? Absolutely, they're human. But their motives were pure. And I believe the motives of our current leadership are pure. Hmm. And so, yes, they can make mistakes. And during those times, there have been times when I've said, I don't understand that decision, or I don't agree with that person but never to the point of needing to go to somebody like you and say, Hey, Preston, that person, like they're, they're, that, that opinion is stupid and, and, and they're wrong. Beware of the person in your life that always has their, 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 see Abner was crafty. He wasn't overtly critical. Hmm. He was cunningly cynical. He was just cynical about everything in the kingdom. Mm. He was cynical. 
Uh, beware of the voice that is cynical about everybody, everything. Some people can leave an apostolic service where the worship has been so powerful, tears have been flowing, hands raised, God has spoken, and they can leave service and sidle up to you at a restaurant and basically blow it all apart by some, you know, did you know about that preacher that preached tonight? If, if you've got one of those voices in your life close to you, I'm not saying... Uh, don't talk to them. I'm not saying don't be kind to them. I'm just saying they are not a voice you need at your table. That cynical kind of pseudo critical voice mm. that always has a, a bone of contention to pick with everything that's going on in our wonderful fellowship. We are far from perfect, but my goodness, God has done so much for us. And we have a wonderful apostolic heritage. I'm not looking for a new heritage to belong to. I love our apostolic heritage. So that's the one person to keep away from your table. And I'll say that in closing. And, and I would be honored to pray over all of these uh, folks that are listening to your podcast today. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for this generation that loves you so passionately, serves you with such excellence. And God, they're pushing us so far down the field in, in so many areas in preaching, in praying, in worshiping, in music, in technology, in study. They're incredible, Jesus. And I pray that you would put a hedge of protection around this generation. God, there's so much evil, so much sensual and overtly sexual, so many temptations. And then there's so many questions in culture. Every foundation, every institution, every authority is being questioned today. And it can grow like a cancer into our spirits if we're not careful. So I pray for the young leaders that are listening to us today and will listen to this in the coming days. I pray, God, you would put a hedge of protection around their mind and around their heart, around their spirit, that they will be able to serve you with integrity, with honesty, with authenticity in this generation, that they would not be ashamed of their apostolic heritage, but at the same time, they would embrace the culture that you have called them to reach. I pray this over them, and I speak this into them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Hey, friends, thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. We are praying for you, and we believe in you. Thank you for all that you are doing for students and for youth ministry. If this episode has helped you, provided insight or encouragement, we encourage you to send this out to your youth pastor friends, text this to your youth team members, and we can all grow together. If you're on Facebook or Instagram, find us at uh, under our handle, at Rush Students, and we'd love to connect with you. And once again, if you're on Apple Podcasts, you will help us so much by leaving a rating and review. Hey, we can't wait to hang out with you next time. My name is Preston Keller, and you have been listening to the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. Mm-hmm.